Hey, Court TV podcast listeners. Courtrooms are still shut down across the country, but that doesn't mean you can't get your fix of the American justice system. We have hours of complete trials available in the Trials on Demand section of CourtTV.com, including the trial we speak about in this encore presentation of the podcast. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. Today on the Court TV podcast, we'll give an update on the trial of Brooke Schuyler Richardson happening now in Ohio, and a look at new developments in the Harvey Weinstein trial, which has now been delayed until early 2020. This is the Court TV podcast with Vinny Politan and Seema Iyer. Welcome to the Core TV Podcast. I'm Seema Iyer, and I'm with the man who puts the V in Core TV, Vinny Paulton. Hey, Seema. Great to be here. This is a, a, a big day. I mean, we're back. We're back. Right? They invited us back for another <laughs> podcast. Wasn't quite sure if it was going to happen, but everything went well first time, so why not? People like it. I think they do. People like us. All right. People really like you, and they tolerate me. That's what it's been. It's that's good what's cop, been bad cop. That's all it is. <laughs> that's all it is. Hey, l- listen, this new trial on Court TV, um, Skylar Richardson oh, is wow. the defendant. This is, now for those of you not familiar, this is an 18-year-old girl at the time of the alleged crime, okay? She's a high school senior cheerleader, long flowing blonde hair, and apparently gets pregnant. Doesn't tell anyone. Doesn't even tell her parents. Hides the pregnancy. And then according to prosecutors, gives birth to the child in the family's home in her room in the wee hours of the morning, murders the baby, and buries her in the backyard of the home. And that's the big question mark to all of this. Does she murder the baby or was the baby already dead? Right. Because the defense in this case is the child was stillborn. It's a stillbirth. The baby was never alive, so she could not have killed the baby. Now, the defense has conceded that, yeah, the burial took place, the pregnancy happened. But the question for the jury is whether or not she murdered her newborn. But I think that our listeners and our viewers are confused as to whether burying a stillborn child is, in fact, a crime. Yeah. Well, she's been charged with it. Right. So So, that is it. So my point is, even if the baby if the baby was alive and she murdered it, that's one type of crime. If the baby was stillborn and she buried it, that is still another crime. Absolutely. But the the most serious charge here, what this case is ultimately about, because the defense is conceding the fact that she buried the the either baby or or stillborn child in the backyard, is whether or not she's guilty of aggravated murder. She's now 20 years old. She's facing the rest of her life in prison. So there's a lot at stake here and two completely different versions of what happened that night inside her room, whether or not she gave birth to a child, brought life into this world, or whether or not the child was stillborn. And the witnesses that I believe are really going to put this together are the doctors. She went and saw the doctor back in April of 2017, and this was actually April 26th of 2017, just 10 days, 10 or 11 days before this burial took place. So if you look at the timeline of the case, you've got April 26th, 
she finds out she's pregnant when she goes to get birth control pills at the doctor's office with her mom. Now, her mom doesn't come with her because she's 18, and so her mom is waiting. So I don't know if her mom knows any of this that's going on. But she's the doctor says, I can't give you the, the pills because you're pregnant. Yeah. So that's April 26th. She finds out she's pregnant, and the doctor wants her to tell people. Well, you tell your mom. You know, you've got to come back. you got to get care here. Now, May 4th, she goes to her high school prom. Oh. That was not, that's not a good look. We've got the prom picture. Not a good look, Vinny. Go on, Court TV. So far, it's not a good look for her. CourtTV.com, we've got the prom picture. And you look at that picture. When you look at that picture, do you see a pregnant 18-year-old? I'm showing you right But right, no, and I'm looking at it, and and that is the, uh, that's the question. A pregnant 18-year-old. That's the crux of this. Because a pregnant 18-year-old, in my opinion, would look a lot different than a pregnant 30-year-old. And this is someone she is also a cheerleader. And so she is athletic. So an athletic person may not show the same way that uh, a non-athletic person. She's smiling show. in the picture. She's Well, it's the prom. It's the prom. She's happy to go to the prom. And this is, there, there are several factors around this entire thing that made this such a big story. Number one, she became public enemy number one, right? Locally. Yeah. People said this woman is evil, um, girl, woman, however you want to refer well, to listen, an 18-year-old. dude. Look at her in court. She ain't doing herself any favors. Why do you say that? Because her whole demeanor is, now you say long, flowing blonde hair. It's long. Okay, well, it shouldn't be so long. It shouldn't be so perfect. Tie it up. Make this kid look a little more demure. She looks entitled. She looks smug. She looks like she is guilty of all the horrible things that they said she did. And I just think they could have made her look less fashionable and more innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to prosecutor Seema Iyer. Usually we have defense attorney Seema Iyer here on the program, but today her... Because uh, she looks so... It's just it's, it's, it's painful to watch her. Well, she's also nervous. She's also lost... A lot of weight yeah. between the time that she was arrested and charged and the trial. She's been on home arrest. She's not. She hasn't been in jail. And home. she does have a history, allegedly, of anorexia and bulimia. Right. And that has really kicked in during this trial. I mean, well, I, I think life in prison will make you lose your appetite. No? I, 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 to me, I don't know what her history is with it. But to me, what I see is someone who realizes that the rest of your life is now at stake here. And this is someone who is not, who has lived, like you said, a great family, great neighborhood, great life, cheerleader, prom, all of that stuff, like storybook stuff. Right. Is, is, now, is, is now all at risk, has already ended because of, of the publicity and um, what happened to that child, one way or the other. The, the question for this jury, though, is... As they look at her in court, what do they see, and 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 how do they reconcile what they see in court with what the allegations are? Is it is it is it um, are they in sync? Well, you know what's going to put it in sync when the prosecutor puts her text messages on the big screen in front of that jury. So look to one side, you see pom pom mom, and look to the other side, you see these text messages that. Uh, were sent to her mom, to her boyfriend at the time, within the time frame of burying the baby that say things like, I'm so happy. 
Yeah, that's 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 the problem, and that's a huge problem. There's you know sort of reminiscent of, of Casey Anthony as well. You you want to rid yourself of this child so you can live that life that you want to lead. And if you're the you know blonde hair cheerleader, um, high school senior, the life you want to live is is exactly that. It's not being a new mom. Now, opening statements. Ooh, prosecutors, unreal. Might tell the story a little bit better than me. Take a listen. I'm literally speechless with how happy I am. My belly is back, OMG. And I'm never, ever, ever, ever letting it get like this again. You're about to see me looking freaking better than before, OMG. Those are the words that Brooke Richardson texted to her mother just hours after she murdered her infant daughter in the middle of the night and buried her lifeless body in the dirt behind their home. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here today because the defendant, Brooke Richardson, murdered a baby that she didn't want and never intended to keep. Wow, really an amazing job done by the prosecution there. And, and by the way, if you missed it, go to CourtTV.com. Yes. It's posted up there. We post the highlights of all the trials there, especially this one. If, if you haven't watched it yet, you can catch up just by going on CourtTV.com. One of the best I've ever seen. Really, great job by the prosecution there. Yes. They are, are passionate about this case, as is the defense. But uh, my goodness, th- this, is, this is not going to be an easy one for prosecutors, but I think they're up to the task. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, it was mesmerizing listening to the prosecution put all of the pieces together. And like Casey Anthony, I think what they will do is show that between the time of the burial, which occurred uh, May 6th, May 7th of 2017, to the time that she returns to the doctor's office in, on July 12th, and that's the same day that one of the doctors calls a police department, we are going to hear about what she did every day, going to the gym, seeing her friends, taking selfies, uh, having fun. And that is going to destroy the defense. Well, destroy. you know, Casey Anthony actually got a tattoo on her uh, back. Mm. It said uh, Bella Vita, the beautiful life after the death of her daughter. I remember that. But you said this is like Casey Anthony. Remember the ending, though? Because there's another similarity between this case and the Casey Anthony case is what the forensics for the remains of the child. Yes. In the in the case of Kaylee Marie Anthony, it was difficult for prosecutors and investigators to put together exactly how she died, the cause of death. But prosecutors th- have the same problem in this one. No, but in this one, they have her saying that she did it. She said she buried the kid. The question is, was the kid alive or stillborn right yeah i mean i mean that's that's the question and the where this falls is with the doctors the doctors that are going to testify now before we can even talk about what the doctors are allowed to say we should talk about and we should tell our viewers are the doctors even allowed to testify that's next Hey, Vinny, have you ever heard of HIPAA? 
It's not a hippo. No, no, I I know what HIPAA is. What's HIPAA? We all know when we go to the doctor, they can't. No one. You got to keep the door closed at the doctor's office now. You say keep this door closed for HIPAA uh, reasons. Exactly. That no one else can know about what's going on with you and your doctor. What you say and what you do in that office um, remains a complete secret. Now nobody can find out ever. Nobody can find out. Except <laughs> if you commit a crime. Okay, so there's doctor-patient confidentiality, right? So we go to our doctors, and that's just between us. Right. I go to the doctor all the time. You know I'm diabetic, right? Type 1. Wait, what? This is breaking news. Oh, my God. You're what? Type 1 diabetic. Oh, my God. Can we, can we tell the listeners I was that, stricken that, as an adult, but with what you call uh, type 1, which is uh, the equivalent of juvenile diabetes. So I'm dealing with it. I'm doing fine, folks. Don't worry about me. But I do have to see the doctor. Many times a year, so I know all about hip. Where are your gummies? Yeah, I, I'm good. My blood sugar is steady knock at 127 right now. So, I just checked it. Yes. Okay, so this is a little uh, background into Vinny. Every, when he does his show, he has his gummies, his diabetic gummies with him, right? Right, in case my glucose levels start to dip. Right, exactly. And then I cannot think and I can't keep up with SEMA, so I got to make sure my blood sugar yeah, is steady. Exactly. And yes, that wasn't breaking news. Our lives revolve around Vinny's. Everyone around me should know. Everyone, just in yes, case. Okay. Uh, okay. So, doctor-patient privilege is similar to uh, priest-penitent privilege. When people go to court, attorney-client, attorney-client privilege. There are certain groups that are protected from testifying about the other person, like husband-wife or spousal privilege. Right. So, doctors and patients have this confidentiality that extends to the courtroom, except when there are instances such as this one where a crime has occurred or a crime is being covered up or someone is in danger or their well-being is at stake, right? So that's really what happened here. Absolutely. But in, in this case, you have Skylar Richardson going to her doctor, and her doctor is the one who informs law enforcement about what's going on here. And there are a lot of people that are very um, upset about that. There are many people who believe it's inappropriate for that um, privilege to be pierced like it was in this case. Uh, because then people and patients will be less forthcoming with their uh, uh, providers. And, and this has really caused quite a stir. Especially in terms of women's groups and those, yes. those people who are protect, uh, protecting uh, I get abortion rights, things like that, right? Absolutely. Those are the, those, a lot of the groups have weighed in on this. and uh, it, But it is, it's fascinating, and that's because of the different instances when Skylar Richardson saw the doctor. So the first time she saw the doctor was April 26th, and that was Dr. Andrew. And Dr. Andrew said, okay, uh, no birth control, you're pregnant, late stages of pregnancy, right? Right. And then he said, come back, get an ultrasound, more testing to make sure the baby's okay and, and how far along she was, plus prenatal care. She blows everything off 10, 11 days later, has the baby, buries the baby, and then fast forward to July 12th, she goes back to the same doctor's group, sees another doctor, Dr. Boyce, and basically confesses that she'd gone into labor and delivered a stillborn baby. Now, Dr. Boyce had already gotten the heads up from members of his office and Dr. Andrew. It's also really important, and this is for our 
listeners to understand that confidentiality, like with attorney-client, uh, it extends to members in your office. So if you and I are part of the same firm, but I'm representing John Doe. That'll be Politan and Iyer, not Iyer and Politan. Just like the podcast is. Yeah. I give it to you. Yeah. I give it to you. But you, but the, or maybe but, Politan and Associates. And you'd be one of the associates. That might be. No. You probably put my office like in the in the loo. Um, so the the point is that the privilege extends. So everybody in that office shares that confidentiality and nobody says anything because on the April 26th visit, there was no reason to think. Well, she wasn't happy about being pregnant. No. And the doctor was a little concerned, wasn't he? The doctor was concerned. The doctor called her home or maybe her cell phone, I'm not sure, but the doctor did reach out to her to say, hey, you got to come in, you got to come in. But still, concern that didn't rise to the level of fear of some type of criminal behavior. There was no reason to think she was doing anything criminal, nor was there reason to think that the baby was in danger. Okay. Because if there was, then he 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 could have potentially taken some action despite that privilege because of the potential danger to a child. A hundred percent. Which is the baby which she was carrying. So if the doctor believes that the child is at risk, then the doctor can spring into action and um, the doctor-patient privilege could be compromised waived. Yes, or yes. waived. It could, no, right. It could be waived. It could be waived by the um, exigency or the immediacy of some type of danger But he, did, he didn't see that in April 26th. No. That's correct. And actually, and this is thanks to you, you gave me the appellate court looked at this uh, case and these issues about the statements, about whether they were going to come in to the trial. And the court actually did rule that Dr. Andrew was not wrong in not reporting this on April 26th. That was fine. That was so fine. That was fine. So that was already been litigated. The question then becomes, July 12th, everything comes out. Dr. Boyce is now involved. Now, going forward, she then gets uh, indicted in August. At trial, can one doctor testify? Can both doctors testify? And I, the trial court said no, but the appellate court said yes, that everything comes in because it's not only the criminality that was discovered on July 12th, but it's also what records were relied upon in determining some wrongdoing. And the court said Dr. Boyce relied upon records from that April 26th communication. And I think this speaks to the larger legal issue that you can't like pick and choose <laughs> statements that are going to help you and hurt you uh, because there is something uh, called, you know, completing the narrative and rule of completeness. And also for these privileges, you, you know, the, these doctors have to take into account everything they learned. And here, here and, and the real issue was, okay, it's, it's obvious. Okay. She, she's admitted to burying a baby, right? So what that doctor learned in that visit, you can tell law enforcement, you're not violating any privilege because a, a, a Human remains right. have been buried. So that's, right. you can't just do that. You can't just bury a body in your backyard. So obviously at that point, they could um, those statements come in. The big issue is whether or not the statements to Dr. Andrew back on the 26th, because there was no, no crime committed back then, whether or not they could use those statements. But the appellate court said yes, while the trial court said no, because you kind of bootstrapped based upon uh, what happened on the 12th. What they learned on the 12th is now all part of it. So... Again, this is not without controversy, uh, and, and, and still people are trying to get um, a, a further ruling on this, that 
somehow doctor-patient privilege should not be compromised. A patient should be able to go in there and say whatever they want in order uh, to get the type of care that you need and not be but, scared that what you say to a doctor can and will be used against you in a court of law, well, which is what's happening here. Right, right, right. No, exactly. It's what, what's happening. This is what the court could have done. And and hear me out. If she went on April 26th and Dr. Andrew said, okay, you're pregnant, that alone could have come in. The problem is that Skylar Richardson then said something to the effect of, I don't want to be pregnant. Uh, and she and she said it with an exclamation point and her behavior of not following up with appointments, of not getting uh, prenatal care. All of that goes to the theory of her perhaps premeditative, you know, ending of the and goes to the, the motive. Life. The motive. She, she, yeah. did, she did not want to be pregnant, which is why she would commit aggravated murder. And prosecutors believe that she has confessed and, and you know, you, you take the words and yes, it's it's a confession. However, the defense is saying, wait a minute, they're trying to take this confession and use it against the prosecution by saying this is not a confession. This was coerced. This was the investigators coming up with a narrative of what happened here based upon some faulty information they received from an expert and got her to admit to something that she did not do. We're going to talk about that next. So a big part of this case is going to be the words of Skylar Richardson herself, the confession um, that prosecutors say is part of the evidence, part of what they're going to use to try to convince this jury that she's guilty of aggravated murder. But the defense has taken this same alleged confession, however you want to look at it, and are attempting to use it against the prosecution. It's, it's, it's brilliant. It's fascinating. I don't know if it'll work or not, but it's a big part of their case. And it all stems from how this case was first investigated. And, and when the remains were first found, the prosecution took these remains and gave them to an anthropologist, their bones. And the anthropologist um, sends a report saying these bones are charred. So the headlines are cheerleader has baby, murders baby, burns the baby, and buries the remains in her backyard. Public enemy number one, evil. Yeah. One problem happened on the way to the trial for the prosecution is that that expert recanted her opinion about whether or not those bones were actually burned. And brilliantly, the defense has now taken that and made it the cornerstone of their case. Take a listen to the defense open to the jury. This case was about a massive rush to judgment. What happens when that doctor who made this horrible mistake changes her mind and tells everyone, I was wrong. The bones weren't burned. No evidence of burning. Everyone agrees with that. What happened? The police didn't, set, didn't hit a reset button. The prosecutor's office didn't hit a reset button. They said, well, Skyler said it. We'll just keep going with our own narrative. Skyler said it. They disregard all truth that does not fit into their story. And that's why we're here today. This is huge. 
This is huge because you've got an expert who kind of set the case up and what the defense is saying, based upon what this expert said, they go and interrogate Skylar Richardson a second time right. and get her to confess and confess to burning the child or setting the remains on fire when the expert said, no, that's not it. That didn't actually happen. So now you got her potentially confessing to something that didn't even happen. That's a okay. problem. Yeah, yeah, it's a problem. Uh, but I just, okay. It would be a bigger problem if there was no surrounding evidence that would point to Skylar Richardson. Okay, so when we look at the history of false confessions, and I think there's one important premise that we have to let our, and most of our listeners and viewers of Court TV, they know this, and that is the police are allowed to lie, Right. Yes, they're, they're allowed to lie to to get you to say whatever they believe the truth is. Correct. But with the def- I just want to premise this again, make this clear what the def- what the investigators believed the truth was at the time of the interrogation is that the remains were burned. Yeah. Based upon what the expert said, turns out the expert says, and, and I'll, I'll read this. Let me read the letter yeah, that the yeah, expert okay. sends. This is these are some emails. This back is and expert forth. number one. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Murray is her name. Yeah. Anthropologist. She said, and she's writing to a colleague of hers. She said, Susan, the prosecutor's office seems upset with me that I wasn't more definitive about the burning. But you and I saw what we saw. Those bones looked so different from my July visit to my August visit. And in July, she said they were burned. And then after August, she recanted that and said they weren't burned. Apparently, my report has definitely upset their apple cart. I could not say at that second visit with a reasonable degree of certainty that those bones had, in fact, been burned. And then in another email, this is the one that that um, really caught my attention. It was my opinion when I talked to you guys that it appeared there may have been burning. You and I saw how different the bones looked at the second exam. I ain't going to lie to them, but I sure ain't going to lie for them. So this fits in with what the defense is saying is that they were convinced investigators that the bones had been burned and they got her to confess to burning the bones. But then it turns out after that interrogation, when the anthropologist takes a second look at the bones, that they weren't burned. Right. Okay. so basically you're saying that part of the confession is a false confession. That's yes, that, that's what the defense is going to argue. Absolutely. And that everything she says is to fit their narrative of aggravated murder. Now, there are different types of false confessions and false. This whole genre of false confessions is a very new area of expertise under the law. Remember the days when to get a DNA expert to testify, right? You had to do a separate hearing. And these are these scientific hearings, fry hearings, to to uh, prove to the court of this uh, admissibility. That and this the reliability. Is, the reliability, that's the word. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that's what you're here for. Uh, so the reliability <laughs> of this scientific evidence in the community, and that's why it gets admitted into evidence. And now DNA, you don't have to... You know, you don't have to make a, a hearing. You're just like, oh, I have a DNA expert. No, Fine. I was practicing there. back in the day when DNA was not every day acknowledged by juries and by judges. But now it is. We all know it and we all accept it. Now, false confession in some states is still not readily acceptable. And they have to do these hearings to see. Now, we just I want to take a moment because the pinnacle case that everyone knows about when it comes to false confessions, Central Park Jogger. 
Okay, remind me. That was a long time ago. Okay, so that case was a long time ago. This was in 1989, and there there were five boys. And at the end of this, after everything was said and done, it was discovered that four of the five boys of the Central Park Five falsely confessed. Even though no DNA linked them to the scene of the crime, they ended up confessing. And there were a lot of reasons they were confessing, part of which is... All five of them were forcefully interrogated for at least seven hours each. Now, this is before the detectives recorded their confessions. Some were not allowed to use the bathroom, were Mm. not given any food, were not given any drink. Some, before the video was taped, the confession video was taped, had been awake for two days. Wow. And for one, and this was, I believe, the youngest one, uh, Youssef Salam, when the police were interrogating him, and this is what we talk about lying, they told him that his fingerprints were found on the jogger's shorts. This was the Central Park jogger who had been uh, raped. So, you know, these are all these things that come into play. And younger suspects are often, and this is what the science shows, are the most susceptible to falsely confessing. I just want to give you one that more makes sense. Step. I mean, a lot of times you can you can get kids to say whatever you want them to say. And yeah. obviously 18 years old is different than seven year, years old, but still they're not fully developed. Exactly. And they can be somewhat intimidated by the circumstances. The numbers tell us juveniles are between two to three times as likely to falsely confess during police interrogations. And as we sit here in 2019, since 1989, 27% of the 325 people exonerated through DNA testing originally confessed to their crimes. That's huge. That's a big number. 27%. Yeah. That's a big number. That's a big number. Uh, so so she's okay, eight, but, so but, she's 18, so she's not a, a child, but she's still but young. She, right. So uh, now here, there's different types of false confessions, and some are just like what we were talking about with the Central Park Five. They're just completely false, but because of the surrounding circumstances, they're younger, they're susceptible, they're exposed to false information, they confess. Now, our Skylar Richardson, she seems to fall under a type that's called compliant false confessions. And sometimes people confess to escape a bad situation, to avoid a real or implied threat or to gain some kind of a war a reward excuse me with her i think it's that you know because there was this partly true situation she admitted to part of it so it's possible that part of her confession was false i think that because it is legitimate that you know this wasn't true and she, and she ended up admitting that they should call an expert yeah I, I, the defense could do that, may do that. What do you think a jury does with this? How do they how do they look at the entire I, situation? Because the defense has laid the foundation for all of this, and and it's the cornerstone of where they're going. Listen, is that they had a story that they wanted her to confess to, right? But I just don't believe in selling to a jury. Oh, common sense, common sense, common sense. Have an expert. Have an expert say, look, look at the signs. When I told you this number, twenty-seven percent out of three hundred twenty-five people, like your, you know, eyes popped. My eyes out, popped up absolutely out of that big that's head scary. of yours. And yeah, and so that's why I'm saying people believe in science and numbers. And if you tell them, hey. 
there are real people out there who have falsely confessed, they are certainly more likely to believe that. So that's what I, I would, so I would like to say. So ultimately it's going to be a question for this jury to figure out, and we'll, we'll see uh, how much progress the defense makes in trying to sell their story that her story was coerced by investigators. Yeah, but this trial is a must-see trial. Absolutely. I, it's, 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 yeah, it's unbelievable. But you know what? We have more news in what else? The Harvey Weinstein scandal. Really? It, it goes on. Every day there's something new. That's next. The Harvey Weinstein scandal rolls on. Now, Vinny, you know that he has been accused by over 85 women right now, spanning the globe, of various forms of sexual harassment and sexual assault. But the trial that was scheduled to begin in New York, there's two victims in this trial. It was supposed to start September 9th. Now it's scheduled to start January 6, 2020, and it really looks like it's going to happen. 2020. That reminds me, I got to renew my license. Because it's of your be 20, vision? I can't believe it's going to be 2020. Oh, oh, because, right. 2020 was the expiration date. I, so is, is it really going to happen, though? I Here's do, the question. I do. I will say. Sometimes I, I, I feel like these things will never happen because Weinstein's attorney's game here no, is delay, delay, wait, delay. I can't believe every, you're saying that. This wait, Every no, day he's no, not at trial. Wait, he's a free man. Oh, not, oh, wait, first of all, you're joking, right? No. Stop it. Stop it. You know that the last delay was because of the friggin' prosecution filed a new indictment. Are you just trying to aggravate me on day no, two of the you podcast? Watch, you okay, watch. no, 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 you're wrong. You are wrong. And I will tell you because I, I told you before off the pod that uh, I do think it's going to happen January 6th because my sources are telling me it's really going to happen January 6th. And I know Judge Burke, and he is not playing any more games. But August He looked terrible, by the way, Weinstein. Oh, walking I thought you were going to say Judge Burke. I was no, like, no. Say Judge Weinstein Burke. walking into court. Like, Judge, horrible. Judge, He's got like a gimp. Does Judge, he have the gout? Judge Burke is, uh, is he an attractive fellow? Yes. Well, okay. Uh, okay. That's fine. I'm not talking about I'm talking oh, about Weinstein. I, and I, his, I, he was gimping into the courtroom. He had a, maybe a limp. Yeah. Maybe he was playing too much tennis. No, his I think days it's off. gout. He's probably got gout. Rich man's you, you, disease. Oh, is that what yeah. gout is? Okay. Absolutely. All right. Good. Good. That's nice. Okay, Dr. Politan. All right. Now, moving on. So, August 26, back to court, new indictment was filed. This new indictment had the same two charges as the old indictment, and those were the predatory sexual assault. On that day, when the new indictment was filed on August 26, the prosecution also filed, and I have this in my hot little hands, a motion to consolidate. And I believe we're going to put this on our show notes so everybody can look at all these, you know. Court TV? .com? CoreTV.com, and I believe in the show notes of the podcast. Oh, we can put in that. Yeah. beautiful. So we, and we do have all on the um, CoreTV.com. We have a timeline. We have articles. We have uh, links to all the documents. Now, this is really, we're going to just legal nerd out on this motion to consolidate. What is a motion to consolidate? What are we consolidating Well, here? I'm glad you're asking me that. Thank you. So a consolidation is when you can join things together. Now, People have heard of superseding indictment. Superseding indictment, think of one hand, my hand on top of my other hand. It covers it. It encompasses it. A joinder is when two things come together. Like a high five. Right. Your hands come together rather than on top of That's each like other. That's like a com- namaste. Yeah. Like a namaste. Yeah, namaste. So 
There's a there's a there's one indictment that exists already. This is a new one, and now we're going to squeeze them and put them together. Exactly. That's the motion to consolidate. Now, the, the what we're expecting any day now is the defense is going to object to the motion to consolidate. Why, Why would they not? Why do you ask questions like that? But what they, are you talking are, are about? Really That's their to job. Do that? That's their job. Their job is to oppose things. Right, but they know they're going to lose. But you. Uh, why do we wait? Hold on. You know the answer to this. Why do you have to file the opposition? I have no idea. Yes, you do. Uh, yes, you otherwise do. Otherwise, it's malpractice. No, well, that You're afraid end, to be sued by Harvey Weinstein. That end, protect and the record. Protect the, the appeal. Record. Protect yeah. the record. Yeah, but it, it, it sometimes it's. Yeah, silly. I wish we. I wish, are we going to get a video on this podcast so people could see Vinny roll his eyes as me? Sometimes all the time. I just think what defense attorneys do is silly. They file motions. They oh, know they are going to lose. Follow the law. Okay. Okay. Lose. Sorry, officer of the court. Just trying to do my job. It's well established. Okay. You're allowed so to consolidate. This is really guidance. cool because so you're allowed to consolidate, which is also called joinder. And there's three different ways to do this. And you know what's really cool about this motion to consolidate? You'll appreciate this as a former prosecutor. Is that the prosecutors are saying, "Hey, we could." File this under A, B, or C. And you know what? We don't need A, B, or C because we've got all three. The first, how does this get joined? It's because it's part of the all the same criminal transaction. That's the word. Right. It's all same criminal transaction. The second reason is that evidence to each count of the old indictment is material and admissible as evidence in chief of the new indictment. Does that make sense? Um, okay. So basically, let's say evidence in the old indictment of of the accusations right. that Harvey Weinstein committed a sexual assault in 2006 against one victim and a sexual assault in 2013 against another victim is evidence in chief of the new indictment. Okay, so, so it supports exactly. the new indictment. Gotcha. Perfect, perfect. Okay, so that's that's how they say we get it in the second. No, I just think this is really cool because sometimes, you know how it is when you file a motion, you're like, okay, I have to pick A, B, or C, but these prosecutors are like, no, no, thank all you. The above. I, all the above. That's how, that's, how, that's how tough and strong they are. And that's why it shouldn't be opposed by the defense because they're going to lose. All right, I'm going to just not, I'm going to move on from that because you're saying silly things on the pod. So, okay, now the final reason they should join is because both indictments, <laughs> sometimes your face makes me laugh. So both indictments charge the same offense. So it's the same offense, that predatory sexual assault. Okay, now could, okay, so it's coming together. This makes a stronger case for the prosecution because they're going to have more potential accusers at trial. Yes. Including but, the star power of Annabella Ciora. Yeah, that's she's gonna bring a lot of star power. You need a star. Yeah, she and she is going to bring it. But and I also think this is one little nuance that's really interesting about this joinder, and that is when you say, okay, why should they object? Part of the reason for objecting is to look at the supporting evidence in this new indictment. How did they get the new indictment? It's the 2006 accuser, which they knew about, the 2013 accuser, which they knew about, and Annabella Ciora. Now, how do you know what she's going to say? As a defense attorney, I would argue that the judge is required to show me the grand jury minutes. Now, in Manhattan— Or you can ask Harvey Weinstein what happened. Sustained. Sustained. That's just. Here's. Can I, wait, 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 wait. One second, one second. No. 
don't criminal defense attorneys know what happened because they have the number one source, which is the actual defendant. You think our clients tell us the truth? But, you know, the defense is always like, well, I don't know what the evidence is. Ask your client what the evidence (laughs) is because he was there. Harvey Weinstein was there. Are you going to tell me he doesn't remember? Or is he going to say, oh, there were just too many women. I don't remember what happened with Annabella. I think he's going to say it's consensual. I'll tell you right now. He's going to say it. But this is really, really cool because here's the deal. Grand jury minutes. Now, every county, and you know this from uh, from prosecuting, every county, every state, it's all different. But sometimes you get the grand jury minutes while you're getting ready for trial. And in Manhattan... It's really bad. They will not give you grand jury minutes until, at best, a week before trial. Before trial. Wow. In, in New Jersey, it was part of discovery. So when you got your discovery, you got the grand jury uh, transcripts. Yeah. and then, we, You and, would get them ahead of time. Well, I don't think they're going to get them. So they're... they're Opposition to consolidation will be based on what they know already in the record. So they want the grand jury transcript because they want to know exactly what Annabelle Sior told. That's what they should. Grand jury. Gotcha. That's what they should. So uh, there we have it. So any day now we are expecting this defense, the Harvey Weinstein defense, to file an opposition to consolidation. And when they do, Seema will tell you about it. Don't worry, folks. I will. She's on top of it. I'm going to write something Uh, She is the expert here at Court TV on the Harvey Weinstein case. Ah, folks, hey, if you like this podcast, you know, you know what you can do? You can uh, help support us with a good review. And did you, we don't can want they, any Can they send reviews. us money? No. no I don't, oh, I don't, oh, it's not supporting me personally. I don't need any money from them. You don't I need, need money, money from them. No, I, I no. Money. We get paid very well by the folks here at Core TV. They are more than generous with us. Yeah. <laughs> hey, share this on social media. Share, like. And tell your friends. Five star. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. If it's a bad review, just move on to the next podcast. You don't have to give us a review. Thanks for listening. Thank you. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to courttv.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.